isn't being a dad just great? You get to do stuff over and over again. You get to claim the right of, of, of you know, fatherhood. As long as you're in my house, you'll do things my way. I think that works too, doesn't it? I mean, just by, that's, that's good claimant theology, right? I, you know, I, some of you know my, my parents divorced when I was young. I, I've got a great stepdad. I didn't know my real dad real well, but I, I did spend some summers there. And I had, uh, I've got an older brother that's four years older, a, 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 a stepsister that's four and a half, and a stepbrother that's eight years older than I am. And so I was the, the end of the four of us. And I remember multiple times um, that uh, something would happen. Usually the older siblings would do something and they would blame me for it because, you know, I could, it was three against one always. Um, and, and of course, you know, I think I really believe dad knew this, but because no one would fess up to something happening, what dad would do is line us all up and spank all of us. Right, dads, you, you with me on this? I mean, it's one, and, and kids, I'm just gonna let you in on a little secret here. One, dads did this because he wanted to draw out the, the real culprit, and two, he was also making up for all the other times he didn't catch you having done something, right? And so it's not like there was a spanking in your in your in your future that you didn't earn in your past, okay? Uh, he and he knew that, and, and so, uh, but but it 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 actually is is symbolic of many of our lives where where we pay for the sins of others, don't we? I mean, I mean, and we do that, and I don't know about you, but that frustrates me, that, that, that challenge, that bothers me in so many different ways, but it is inescapable that we pay for the sins of others. Now, uh, I, I want you to hold on to that, that ideal a little bit, but I want you to kind of hold on to it loosely uh, because there's a difference between paying for the sins of others and being impacted by the sins of others. And, and I'm going to share that a little bit this morning to kind of give you a little bit of, of, of an understanding of what I'm trying to say and where the scripture is. But I think if we were to, to, to look at some examples of how we are paying for and or being impacted by the sins of others, I, I, could, I, could, I could name multiple ones. So a couple of weeks ago, you know, I shared with you that uh, through a family decision, it was decided that I no longer would frequent a particular restaurant here in town due to being sprayed in the face with a water gun by, by uh, smaller, uh, not quite adults. Okay, is that vague enough? And I was I was told uh, a couple of weeks ago that there are now signs posted in said establishment that says that unless you are a purchasing customer, those not quite fully adults who are attending a public institution across the street shall not loiter in said place. Victory, right? <laughs> but it, it, it's the adage, right? It's like one bad apple doesn't just spoil the whole bunch. They just, one bad apple ruins it for everybody. You know, there's, there's all of these rules that are in place. And you think about some of the laws that we have in place. They came about by a minority, possibly maybe just one or two individuals, making a really selfish and or really dumb decision, but it impacted all of us. There, there used to be uh, uh, traffic signs, particularly, and we still, I don't know if they're still there in Montana, I've never been there, but, but instead of a speed limit, it said necessary and prudent. And so you could just drive as fast as you wanted. And, and if you've ever been out those parts of the country, you realize you may be 75, 100 miles from anything and so drive as fast as you want at your own risk, right? You can hit an elk. No one's going to know it. You're on your own. 
But then down south, we got speed limits everywhere. Now, it's, it's interesting that, that it says 65 and nobody drives that, but we have them, right? But, but we've got all kinds of, like Oklahoma has this weird law about no harpooning whales in Oklahoma. Not the first place I'm thinking of going to harpoon a whale, um, but apparently Moby Dick was a really challenging book for most of the people in Oklahoma to read. So, you know, we put, we put, the, we put laws on the books. There, there used to be something called blue laws. Are you all familiar with this? We still kind of impacted by some of them. You can't purchase a vehicle on Sunday in Texas, but there used to be what was called Connecticut blue laws, and, and those laws encompassed a lot of things. You, you, you couldn't uh, purchase alcohol. Uh, you couldn't buy cars. There were a lot of, lot of things, and we still kind of have some of that. You can't purchase, uh, I, I don't know, if, uh, you can't purchase most alcohol now on Sunday, but which is great because everybody just kind of binges up on Saturday, and they don't come to church on Sunday. So, you know, great plan. Worked out. You know, cell phones, do you remember when we used to laugh at people for cell phones and we called them all, you know, yuppies? Uh, and now everybody has one, and now your kids have to have one for whatever reason. not really sure what the have to comes through. But now we've got to a place to go, you know, it may be a good idea for us not to allow people to uh, be on their cell phones without both hands on the wheel at 10 and 2, not 10 and an hour and a half, you know. Um, and, and we'll even find them if they're in a school zone, right? I mean, so I want you to think about that one for a moment. Um why should I slow down and not be distracted while driving through an area where small children who don't understand the boundaries of a car and roads and sidewalks are going? Why do we need a law for that? Is, it has common sense completely left us. But yet, I get this joy when I drive through said school zone and see someone pulled over having a nice conversation with a police officer. I don't know what it is, because it's just like Darwin may have been onto something. Some of you will get that later. But we have these rules, right? And because of that, we all pay for or are impacted by the sins of others. Some of them are hard to understand, and we're dealing with some of those today. Like, for example, you can go to the military at 18 years old and serve your country, but you cannot purchase alcohol or purchase a firearm until you're 21 years old. Now, I'm not telling you those rules are, are right or wrong. I'm telling you these are what the laws of the land are. But they're also excused a little bit because it's my understanding, particularly during wartime, if you're 19 years old and serving in the military and on a military base, that the laws are a little different when you're not on a military base. And so the rules of alcohol and purchasing and possessing and all that stuff are a little bit different too. And so we kind of have these things where these laws are in place and they're impacting us and, and, and we're paying for the sins of others and we're trying to make sense of them. But e even now, we've, we're, we're, we're looking at gun control laws in our United States and we, we say, well, the law says, the Second Amendment says we can do this, but yet we're looking at all these different rules that need to be in place and there's arguments for and against and, hey, look, if, if we raise the limit to purchase firearm to 21, do we still let people at 18 vote? I mean, does that make a whole lot of sense? We're trying to, to incorporate our, our, our will upon someone so they can't do something, but yet still allowing them. And so this would be really interesting, by the way, just as a matter of law for a moment, that an 18-year-old who has a right to vote could vote down an amendment that would change the right to purchase a firearm at 21 years old. I just want you to think about that for a moment, that there are 18, 19, 21-year-olds 20 out there who could mass 
go out and vote and change the laws so that they can't get that taken away from them at 21. It doesn't really make a lot of sense when you start thinking about that, but it is a great way to mobilize an age bracket to vote, is it not? So just think about that for a minute. Speaking of our Constitution, you know, we, we, uh, you, you may not have known this, but, but, but prohibition was a really interesting uh, part of our Constitution to where we, we had the drinking age at 18 and now 21. But at one point between 1918 and 1933, you could not purchase, produce, manufacture, or transport alcohol in the United States. And it took two amendments to change that. The law impacted. But yet people didn't stop drinking. Did y'all notice that too? They didn't stop producing. In fact, I come from a, from a, a lineage of moonshiners. My dad's first arrest was when he was out running the cops while his dad was throwing the whiskey out the window. It's a fun story to listen to him tell me that. You know, like, wow, really, your first arrest. Tell me about the other ones. <laughs> Even then, we still have these laws that, that impact us, that, that kind of tie us down. An interesting one, uh, and I, I want you to think about this from, from a historical perspective, we, we had to have a constitutional amendment to end slavery. Yeah, I just want you to think about that for a second. We had to go to the law of the land and put it on the books to stop doing something that is morally wrong. Not only that, the, the 13th Amendment, 1865, that was passed, we had to put another one on the books that was right behind it that, that naturalized citizens. And really, if you ever look at the 14th Amendment in the United States, what you're going to learn is, is that the bulk of that was not to give newly freed slaves the right to vote. It was to stop those who were in the Confederacy from being able to hold office. It was a big double whammy. And if you're wondering where you may see that again, keep watching these January 6th hearings. You're going to see some of this pop back up. We're going to see some people who, who participated in crimes against the United States are no longer going to be eligible to run for office. I just want you to think about these things. I'm not telling you I'm for or against that. I'm actually against slavery, by the way. But I'm, I just want you to understand this. The 15th Amendment was, was really an interesting one, too, because it said that people had the right to vote, vote regardless of their race or uh, uh, of their um, what's the word? Uh, or color. Now, the reason why that's so important is because it didn't say anything about gender. It took until uh, uh, from 1865 all the way up to the 19th Amendment, which was around 1933, to allow women the right to vote. Oddly enough, the right for women to vote and the right for us to drink again all came at the same time. I'm just saying. Ladies, that's a Father's Day joke. I'm just taking a little jab. Next May, we'll bring it back around. I tell you all of this stuff because I want you to understand that, that we are a, we're a nation of law, but not necessarily order, even though we claim to be. But people, by and large, have always needed to be governed by a variety of things. They, they've always attempted to be governed by a variety of things. And I will just tell you that every time man has tried to self-govern, we always fall short. We never quite get it right. And, and, and in our democracy especially, we see that, that while the majority, the popular opinion, may get something passed, it's not universal. It's certainly not equal by any means, and not everybody wins. And I would go so far as to say that most of the time, what we really do is kind of get to a, a, a moderately unhappy middle. Not necessarily a, a really win-win. And, and I, I tell you these things for, for a lot of reasons. We're going we're gonna to get into this this morning. But, but there's parts of history that I think we should continue to look back at. Uh, for example, uh, 
1933, we're coming out of the Depression. Things are really hard in the United States. And, and President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, he passes something called the New Deal. And, and the New Deal was a huge expansion project throughout the United States where we had a lot of people who were out of work. We had a lot of people who were really struggling. We had, we had a, a, literally a Democratic Party, an FDR, that was trying to figure out how do we get this country back on track uh, and, and how do we recover from World War One? and how do we make sure that, that we're good? And likewise, how do I keep my party in power? Now, I, you're probably wondering, man, John, you're going really political today. No, I'm going historical today. And, and then this new deal, it was such a great deal that it lasted an entire year from 1933 to 1934. And, and of course, you know what happened in 1934? FDR came out and said, I got a second new deal for you, uh, 2.0. I'm going to improve this for you. And, and that one was from 35 to 36, also from FDR. Now, what happened was, if any of you enjoy the national parks or have gone to any of these places, that part of the New Deal was in there. And there's something called the, the Conservation Corps, the Civilian Conservation Corps, where a lot of these young men who couldn't find jobs, they were out living in camps and building some of our national parks. And so we're enjoying some of that today. And, and FDR's plan actually worked because the Democratic Party did stay in power all the way up through like the, the 60s, I think it was, for a long time. And they made a lot of changes. They made a lot of different things happen. Then all of a sudden there was a, a flip because the nation said, no, 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 we need, we need another new deal, right? We don't like the way things are happening. We don't like the way things are governed. So change the governing for us yet again. Today we've got something out there that's in front of us called the Green New Deal. And, and yet here again, we've got a new deal that's being presented to us. Now, I know most of your feelings on this. And unfortunately, I, I'm trying to get past your, po your politics to just kind of understand where we're headed this morning. The Green New Deal actually has some really interesting things, some good things, I think, in there. I don't think there's anything wrong with being able to breathe cleaner air. I would love to not pay so much for gasoline. I mean, I think we're at 502 right now as the nation average, and, and we'll be at 6, you know, before long. That would be great. That'd be, I mean, that would be wonderful to be able to do those things. And, and this Green New Deal basically says that, you know, they want to put things that, that impact climate change and do different things. All those things are actually pretty good ideals when you think about the stewardship we have on nature, on God's creation. Um, but I, I think we can also look and say, look, economically, these things are really challenging. Um, there's, there's just so many nuts and bolts of this that don't work. And unfortunately, we seem to reward effort more than results. And we start putting these things out there. And when we start seeing these new ideas, these new deals come up, you're always going to find people who say, this is a great idea. Man, I think it's a good deal for students not to be able to go into a restaurant, not pay for anything, and not be able to disrupt paying customers. That's a great deal. I like that. We also have this freedom of speech thing in our country. I like that. We've got churches that are being attacked right now on Sunday morning. There are people protesting inside of a church for the right for people to legally, according to the state, take the life of an unborn child. I don't know about you, but I feel like we need a new deal, right? I feel like things need to change a little bit. But I'm going to just say this. I want you to hold on to this this morning. Because at the, at the crux of all the laws and all the changes and all the everything else, we don't need more, better, or stricter laws. We need a new deal that changes hearts. Because the, the heart of the matter is always the matter of the heart. Listen, folks, we can regulate a lot of things, but, but I believe it with all my heart, you don't regulate morality. You don't beat people into submission long enough to where they fully change. Until their hearts are changed, it doesn't matter what the law says they can or cannot do. 
their heart has to be changed. And, and I'm just gonna just I'm gonna say something this morning that I hope you really hold on to. The Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, was full of laws, and we talk about these laws, but those laws were not effective in changing the heart of man. They were effective in managing the conduct of man. And hopefully that conduct would display what's actually in the heart because that law that says you should or should not do this or that would actually get you to a place where I understand why that's the case. James Dobson was very clear on some of these things when he talks about rules without relationship lead to rebellion. And so on this Father's Day, dads, I really want you to clue in here and understand that, that never, never be upset about the rules that you put in your household. Never be worried about those things if they're leading your children to Jesus Christ. Never be worried about the laws that we follow or don't follow unless they are laws that are leading us away from Jesus Christ. Now, I'm for democracy, but I'm actually higher on the theocracy. I would rather do what God has to say than what man has to say. But I'm under the authority of man that God has placed over me, and I probably earned that because he has put the law of the land on top of us so that his will can be carried out. And sometimes it's really confusing to see why things are legal in this country, or legal in any country for that matter, and wonder why has God allowed this? And quite frankly, the reason is, is that God's hoping that you'll see in this law that we are missing the point that hearts need to be changed. You can only oppress people so long for a variety of reasons, whether it be the, by the law or by the whip, and eventually they will rise up. They will revolt. It will happen. And we don't need more, better, or stricter laws. We need a new deal to change hearts. And so if you have your Bible this morning, I want you to turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 31. And Jeremiah chapter 31 is the second of the book of consolation or the book of hope that's given out to to the Jewish people particular, they're, they're, they're either in exile or, or about to be on their way back out. They're wondering why they've been taken out of this promised land. They've had new laws by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians and the Assyrians and the Chaldeans and all sorts of other people pressed upon them about the things they cannot do, and they're really not digging these laws. We, we get some, some great guys that stand up like Daniel who will say, listen, I will obey you to this level, but anything you ask me to do that's contrary to my God, I will not do it. I have an obligation, a moral obligation, a, a spiritual obligation to disregard your laws when they stop me from properly worshiping my God who created us all. And so Jeremiah is writing his second book in the book of Consolation in, in chapter 31. And the first thing I want you to see this morning is actually way down in verse 30. God knows we needed help, and so he made us the deal that we needed. Now, I, I have to tell you, I, I struggle with the word deal this week, but, but this was the best I could come up with, so you're just going to have to bear with me. But God knew that, that the people of Israel needed a new deal, and so he, he, he made one for us. And I'm telling you, it's the best deal we're ever going to get, by the way. And so read with me in verse 30. Uh, but everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Each man who eats sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. This first two verses here actually are the, the end and the beginning of a new thought in Jeremiah 31. 
And the reason why I bring up the, the verse 30 is to, to help us understand that in the new deal that God is about to make, because remember in Jeremiah 29, he says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And part of my plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, is to, is to prosper you and to give you hope for a future. But in order for that to happen, you're going to have to have a new deal because the old deal didn't work. And what I mean by the old deal not working is that under the, the, the old covenants, when somebody messed up, everybody paid for it. We, we probably have all heard the story of Achan where God said, plunder this, this, uh, this, this group and kill everything and take nothing for yourself. One person takes something for himself. The entire tribe is punished for that. And as a result, the entire tribe is called to go out and stone him and his family. And so uh, when we see that in verse 30, that, that, that you'll taste sour grapes, it's as if, hey, listen, I, I drank of the law and I didn't like the taste of it because somebody messed it up for all the rest of us. Somebody violated it. Now, there are echoes in there of just as death entered the world through one man, salvation entered the world through another. And so we see the sin of Adam and we see the salvation of Jesus at the, at the backside of that. And so when we look at, at, at what we're saying here of, of, of man paying the penalty as a whole, God's saying in this new deal, there will no longer be this collective penalty. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to be impacted by the sin of others, but we're no longer going to be held accountable for that. It's going to be personal and individual. Now, there's all kinds of, of covenants that are out there in the Old Testament, and, and Jeremiah's readers would understand this most. God made a covenant with Adam. After Adam sinned, they ran around, hid themselves because they were naked. God asked the great rhetorical question, who told you you were naked? They, they go through that whole dialogue round and round, and then God says to the serpent, I'm going to curse you forever. You're going to crawl on your belly, and you're going to eat the dust. For the woman, you're going you're gonna to experience pain and childbirth, but one day your offspring's heel will crush the head of the serpent. And it says right after that, God said when he threw them out of the garden that he killed an animal and covered them with the skin. They were no longer naked, but they were ashamed. And so in the first covenant, God shed blood so that they could still be in proximity to him, but not in closeness with him. And so the covenant, the people would all know, always, always had to do with the blessing and the curse and blood had to be shed. Noah was given a covenant too, and this was an interesting covenant because when Noah got off the ark, he sacrificed a bunch of animals, and he did so in honor to his God. And the covenant that God made to him and all mankind is a rainbow that I will never destroy the earth again with water. And so this was a new deal for the time, right, so the people to understand that. Then there was Abraham where God said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations, and I'm going to show you to the promised land, and through your offspring all people of the world will be blessed. But we know as we read through scripture that that will eventually be Jesus that will bless everyone. This was his covenant. Moses had an interesting covenant with him. It was a long series of blessings and curses. And this is actually where we catch up to Jeremiah here is that in, in Deuteronomy 26, 27, and 28, we see these blessings and curses that God says, if you do this, this will happen. But if you, if you violate my laws, then this is what's going to happen. Now, I want you to just catch up with me for just a moment and consider for just a second the time frame of Jeremiah. The entire book of Jeremiah is about a hundred years of one group of people who really, really messed up. And in the middle of all that, God made a commitment to restore them plus, to give them more than. 
It's actually kind of sad because in the Mosaic Covenant, it was written out clearly. I mean, we first see that at Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments. These are ten things if you'll do them. And they had to expand those and had to expand those. And they get to more laws and more laws and more laws and more laws. And then they started to write more laws. And guess what? They couldn't remember all those laws. They couldn't fulfill all those laws. And the law became such a burden to them that when Jesus came into the picture, he says, take my yoke. It's light. Love God, love people. I'm going to simplify all the laws of the prophets for you to do so. But dads, I want you to pay attention to this this morning especially. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. This was part of of the covenant God made with with Moses and the people. It says, the Lord passed before him and he proclaimed, "The the the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now, if you hang with me for just a moment. What God told Moses was that if you do what I tell you to do, if you'll obey my laws, everything's going to be fine. But if you don't, if you don't do this, then I'm going to continue to punish you for generation to generation to generation to generation. Some of you probably heard the phrase generational sin. And there's this wonder, does, does what I do pass on to my children? Yes and no. And so dads especially, I want you to listen to me this morning on this Father's Day as I tell you about this. That, that word from generation to generation or to the third and the fourth generation is actually a Hebrew idiom. And what it really says is, is that I'm going to continue to punish the next generation until they get it right. Until they figure it out. And so dads, what does this mean to you particular? It means this that you're going to raise your kids, and you're going to teach them, and they're eventually going to grow up and make their own life's decisions. And you're not responsible for how they turn out and how they grow up and the things they do, except for this. Now pay attention carefully, because this is both the greatest blessing and perhaps the, the greatest burden on a dad. Your job is to teach your children who Jesus Christ is and how they can know him. And if you do that, Everything else will work itself out. It doesn't mean life's going to be easier. It doesn't mean they're not going to have hard times. It doesn't mean they're not going to make knucklehead decisions. They're going to do that, and they're going to do that because they're going to learn it from you, okay? But if you fail to teach your kids who Jesus is and how they can know him, then they're going to continue to struggle and continue to suffer until they figure it out, whether that's the third, the fourth, or the next generation, over and over and over again. This is what happened with Jeremiah. It was not enough that that first generation was really messing up. It was that they were teaching the next generation how to worship idols. They were teaching the next generation how to make false sacrifices. They were teaching the next generation how to go make a deal with a a, a government that used to oppress them instead of turning their hearts to God. And so for the second and the third and the fourth generation, they were continuing to suffer, not just because the sins of the fathers, but because of what the fathers were intentionally teaching them to do. And it was not moving them towards God. This was actually part of the fault of the law, is that when the law becomes so burdensome and so hard for us to, to, to cover, we go looking for a different plan because it's just too difficult. It's just too hard. David would also be a covenant that they would know. And then there's this new covenant, and this is where Jeremiah is. I remember in the book of Consolation, the book of Hope, he's looking forward to the future, and he's saying that this new covenant is going to be the covenant of all covenants. It's going to be better than all the rest of the covenants. 
And the ideal of a covenant in the past was that an animal would get cut in half and the blood would be there and the two parties would walk between the two and they would say, if I break my side of the covenant, let what has happened to this animal happen to me. Now, Abraham had an interesting covenant because God walked through it on his own. He didn't ask Abraham to do the same thing. But in the new covenant, we're going to see the shedding of blood through Jesus Christ alone. And the promise of this new covenant is that Israel and Judah especially are going to be restored in right relationship to him. Now, now this is why this is important. It does not matter how strict you are in following and adhering to the law. That will not fix the relationship. Let me give you a good example. Students, especially as you're thinking about dad today and all the things that dad really wants for Father's Day, he just wants you to do what he tells you to do every day, right? And the reason is is that, that, that dad, catch this, dad wants what's best for you. And the burden that he carries is that at the moment, I know what's best for you. In, in, in case you're not believing me, Trust me, what's best for you is that you don't make me so mad that I smack you a lot, okay? Just do what I tell you to do, and you'll be fine. I say that in jest, but but what I want us to really understand is that it's important that we look to see what God had planned out for the next generation and how he used dad not just to force the law and to force rules and to force regulations upon them, because he knew that he could punish them so much and they would comply so much that he would never have their hearts. The new deal had to be made because God knew that the law was never going to get us there because we might comply, but we would never fully give God our hearts. And that the law would become, instead of a tool to lead us towards the reality of our need for salvation, it would become a weapon in the hands of those that are just trying to continue to oppress and force and push upon. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes the laws feel like they're very oppressive. But it's hard sometimes to not back up and go, I may have, I may have deserved that. But look what he says in verse 32. We see that the, the new deal is rooted in grace. Whereas we were bound by the law and so many other things, verse 32 of Jeremiah 31 says this, uh, that, that I'm going to make a new covenant with you, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. He says that this new deal is going to be covered in grace, and the reason why it's going to be covered in grace is you don't deserve it. There's actually nothing about God saying that I'm going to make a new plan, a new way to build a relationship with my people that you deserve. In fact, you deserve more punishment than you're actually getting now. But I made a promise to you. I told you I was going to take you into the promised land. I told you you were going to, you were going to dwell in the land of milk and honey. I told you that, that I would be with you forever. But I can't be with you forever until I have your heart. It's not enough just to have your back, to have your body, to have you doing things that, that you're seemingly being forced to do. I want your heart. And in order for that to happen, God said, I'm going to be the bigger one here, and I'm going to be gracious You violated the last covenant. You broke my heart. You were adulterous towards me when you chased after other gods. When I gave you all these things, when people feared you because of me, you ran to them because of your own sin. I knew what you did. If we were to go back up to Jeremiah 31.3, 
God would say clearly, I've loved you with an everlasting love, therefore I have continued my faithfulness to you. It's echoes of 1 Timothy. When we are faithless, God is faithful. For he cannot deny himself. It's who he is. It's his character. Every part of what happened from the very beginning when he made a covenant with Adam, God said, I'm going to make a way for you and I to be together forever. And it's not the law that's going to do that. It's going to be the relationship that you and I have. It's going to be the changing of your heart towards me because my heart is never going to change towards you. I love you. I want what's best for you. I have a plan for your future, a hope for you. And the law can only show you how short you are in obtaining that, whereas my love for you, this new covenant that's going to be written in blood, that's going to really matter, is going to be covered in grace. And that gets us to verse 33, where the new deal changes us from the inside out. This is what the law cannot do. Jeremiah 31, 33 says, For this is the covenant that I will make with those of the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Listen to that. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. You know what it is to carry the name of an ancestor? You know what it is to, to be marked by by someone greater than you to walk into a place and say, oh, you're such and such child, or you're such and such kid, or oh, you must be a Davis, or you must be this, this, this. Just consider for a moment that all people on the earth will know whose who's you are and whose are not his. Does that make sense? Sounded weird coming out of my mouth. It's a wonderful thing because God declares that after this time that you're paying for your sins in the past, then I'm going to make a new covenant with you because we're, we're not going to forgive all that just nilly-willy, right? Sin's got to be taken care of. But after that time is over with, I'm going to put my law within them and write it on their hearts. Now, this is really kind of interesting to me. Ezekiel is a, a contemporary prophet with Jeremiah, and he would say that I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What, what's wonderful about this and really interesting is you have to consider that God said, here are all my laws. God's people said, nah, we think we don't want to follow those anymore. And, 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 you know, even those 10 that were written on stone tablets. And what, what they decided to do was after they broke those laws, they got themselves into trouble, famine, drought, sword, pestilence, armies coming in invading them. They find themselves under the, the yoke, the burden of another country that is forcing them to do or not do certain things, even to the point where they can't worship God or turn back to him legally because the law says so. And, and, and they're going to these diviners and these sorcerers and these necromancers and all these others. And it was their practice in the day, these diviners and necromancers and all these others, is they would kill an animal and they would say that they could read the future on the entrails, particularly on the heart. That by killing this animal, they would pull the heart out and they would read, oh yeah, you're gloom and doom, it's all bad for you, give me a thousand dollars, you know. And so they understood the language of the day, and God is kind of using that language a little bit, and there's kind of a two-ply there. He's saying, first of all, I wrote ten rules down on tablets, that's no longer going to be the case. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to change your 
your whole circumstance from inside out, I'm going to write my law in your heart. And the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to put my spirit within you, which we would know as the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to dwell with those forever and ever who know him, love him, and trust him. And so whatever the law of the land may be, it won't get us to right relationship with God. It will be the law written on our hearts with God's own finger saying that I will put my law in your heart. Now think about the 613 laws that they tried to follow and couldn't. God said, I'm going to boil these things down. Jesus boiled them down too. Love God, love people. I'm going to put that in your heart. I'm going to change things from the inside out. And so you might imagine what would happen if we all knew who Jesus Christ was, followed him, let him be Lord of our lives, who, who we, we accepted a new covenant made for us. All these other laws we're talking about are going to be unnecessary if we would merely love God and love people. Now, I agree that maybe we ought to look at some of our gun laws in our country right now, but I will absolutely agree with you that you can put whatever law you want out there, and there's going to be someone who's going to have a heart bent on doing harm, and they're going to find a way to do that. And while we may detour some who are riding the fence about doing harm and not doing harm, there's always going to be some whose heart doesn't belong to the Lord that we're all going to pay the price for. We're all going to be impacted by that. The solution is not more laws. It never has been. The solution is we need a new deal. We need a new heart. We need God's spirit within us. And that comes from a new covenant. And it makes all the other laws make a little bit more sense to go, oh, yeah, those are like bumpers on a bowling alley. They just kind of keep me out of the gutters. They keep me on the straight and narrow doing what I'm supposed to do. Paul would write to the Corinthian church and Corinthians 3.3, and he says, And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. That's why sometimes whenever we as Christians don't follow the law, or we don't like a certain law, or we don't want certain laws to be passed, it's easy for a world that doesn't have God's law written on their heart to look and say, all kinds of things about us. Now, it's a bit hypocritical, too, as well, because we have to understand that we have the government we have because God has placed them over us, most likely to fulfill his plans for this earth, which is not just total destruction, but to lead people towards a growing relationship with him. And so I would encourage you, the next time someone says anything about a law, particularly one you don't like, you might just stop for a moment and just go, I wonder how God is trying to show me he loves me by telling me that that law is not going to change my relationship with him. And it's not going to change your relationship with him either. And we get wrapped up in the politics of the day and we start debating all the things out there. I wonder how different things might be if we just stop and go, you know what? I've never seen a law push people to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that really change everything if we just loved him and trusted him more than we did a law and a book? I mean, after all, slavery used to be legal in this country. Abortion is now legal in this country. Gay marriage is now legal in this country. And when I look at all those types of things and I get fired up and think about all the laws that are out there, it's easy for me to get away from the reality of what a law-breaking sinner I actually am myself. And that because God has written his law on my heart, my job is not to go out there and make a fuss about those laws. My God is to say, look, those laws are out there because we are so far away from God, he's trying to draw us back in. And perhaps maybe we need 
more of that structure. Maybe we need more of our freedoms taken from us so that we might realize that in Christ alone is the only place we're ever going to find true freedom. Ever. We move on down to Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 34. We see the New Deal makes us want to obey God. Now that's just interesting, isn't it? What do you mean I want to obey God? Of course I want to obey God. Yeah, nobody wants to obey God if it means they can't do what they want to do. But God continues on his conversation through Jeremiah, and he says, And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. This is good news of the new covenant. See, the law only showed us what was wrong, but it didn't show us how to fix it. The law only told us, here's what you can or cannot do, but it didn't really fully explain why that is. It didn't show us that when we obey these laws, it's not about our ability to comply. It's about our ability to love God in such a way to say, you know what, I don't have to fully understand all this to trust you that you know what you're doing and that you've got a better plan for me, plans for my future, plans for a hope, plans to prosper me. The law was often manipulated by those in power. Now, I know that's a shocker to you, but it still is today. And those in power would use the law against so many others because they weren't pushing people to know who God was. The new deal that God offers us through his covenant is both individual and collective. It's individual in that every individual is going to have to answer for their sins and their relationship with God. They're going to have to stand before God and account for everything they've ever done. But it's also collective in such a way that God said that I made this deal for everyone, so everyone's invited. Everyone's welcome to partake in this. And the beauty of this new deal is, is what it doesn't actually cost us, but what he was willing to pay for. Romans chapter 3, verse 20 would be a familiar passage for some as we talk about things of the law. It says, For by works the law uh, of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The law does nothing more but tells us what's wrong, tells us what's harming us, tells us what's bad, tells us what, what we should or shouldn't be doing. But it does not offer a solution. It only raises a red flag. If we were honest about the things that are happening in our world, we would see that all the travesty, all the challenges, all the difficulty, all the things that are happening in our world have nothing to do with good laws or bad laws, has everything to do with good hearts and bad hearts. Hearts that belong to Jesus and hearts that do not. This passage reminds us that a day will come, that a time in the future is set forward where God is saying that those who want to follow me will want to obey me because they will be satisfied only in him not being a rule follower. I'm a rule follower until I don't like the rules. I like things a certain way until I don't like them anymore. And I can be wishy-washy about those things by my mood, by my blood sugar, by all sorts of things. But God's new deal was absolute and it continues on. But he says, we're going to have to clean up this mess for a minute. You guys are going to have to go through a period of struggles and challenges so that you realize that, man, we had a pretty good deal, but the best deal we're ever going to make, God said he's going to make for us in the future. That's what Colossians 1 will tell us, that he, was de he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God says that I will be their God and they will be my people. And when I come and I set up this new covenant with my people, when I give them the best deal they're ever going to make, when I do so, I will remember their sins no more. Wouldn't that be awesome? I remember those holidays when we would sit at the table, particularly as we got older, 
and all the things we did as kids that we got spanked for when we probably didn't need to, the truth would start to come out. Y'all, y'all have those conversations, teenagers and 20s? The truth starts to come out. Hey, Dad, remember that time when I was seven when, when you spanked my brother for such and such? Yeah, that was me. I got away with it for all these years, right? Here's the best part. We're going to stand before God. He's going to see, hey, is his name written on our hearts or not? He's going to remember our sins no more. Wouldn't it be great if we could remember our sins no more as well? One of the best ways for us to do so is to not commit sins. The hard part is that when we don't have a heart that chases after a God that loves us and is designed everything to send us closer and closer to him, what our hearts actually reveal is our own rebellion, our own anger, our own frustration, our own need. So that laws have to be put in place to try to manage our conduct but not push us towards a relationship with Jesus Christ. Which gets us to the very end of today where the new deal itself is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Now this was a challenge for the people in Jeremiah's time because they had been told about Messiah, but they still wondered, they still doubted. But until the new deal was going to come, until the new covenant was going to come, they were still going to be under a system of laws and rules which included the sacrificial system. Hebrews chapter 9 is a wonderful passage where it says, Therefore he, being Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Friends, no matter what laws we try to put on the books, no matter whatever we try to fix by going back and retroactively doing this or, or, or pushing us towards making amends for the past, none of those things are going to account for anything if God's word is not written on our hearts, if our names are not written in the book of life like we talked about last week, it's not going to matter. And so no matter how good we try to be, no matter how kind we try to be, no matter how, how, how much charity we try to possess and, and put out there for others, none of that stuff is going to matter. We need Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone to make the best deal we're ever going to get. That's why Jesus will say in Matthew 26, For this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Romans chapter 10, verse 4 is also a wonderful passage. It says, Christ is the end of the law. For through him, those who believe will find salvation. I'm all for law and order. I'm all for things to, 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 to be out there so that we have a, a governing factor of some sort. We all at some point appreciate a law that says we can or can or should or shouldn't do something because it impacts us individually. Jesus Christ himself came so that the law would be fulfilled in whole, not just abolished, fulfilled in whole. And in doing so, a covenant was made and the blood of Jesus Christ was spilled for us. What we see through Hebrews and other parts of Paul's writing is that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. I don't know about you, but complying with the law really doesn't cost me that much. Jesus to put his life down for each and every one of us, we see that a new covenant was made for us and the best deal we're ever going to get was made for us on the cross by Jesus Christ. And it opened the doorway for restoration, not just for the Jews, not just for Judah, not just for Israel, but for every man, woman, and child that breathes life that God created in his image. I watch what's going on in our world sometimes and I worry about this generation and the next generation and the next generation. There's been a lot of conversation as inflation does what it's doing right now about those who are near retirement or those who are going to retire. And there's a whole lot of talk about who's going to take care of them when their money runs out a lot faster than what they thought it was going to. 
their hope, their plans for the future were rested in the law of the day, and they did the best they could by making their investments or their savings or doing whatever they could at the day, but things change. And when those things change, you can't go back and just fix them. You can't put in new laws to just fix those things. And that's why God said, the best deal I'm ever going to make, I'm going to make with my son, Jesus Christ, and I'm going to hang him on a cross. I'm going to pierce his side. I'm going to beat him with a whip and drive a crown of thorns into his skull so that all mankind might know that the hope and the future that they have only comes in him. And by the way, in case you're wondering, it was the law itself that put Jesus on the cross so that we might have a new deal. May not like the laws that are out there, but they ought to be pointing us towards Jesus. The Jews, as they stood before Pilate, knew they didn't have the legal right to crucify him. But another authority did, and they called upon the law that day to do so. Friends, we may be pushed back and forth by the law, but we are no longer governed by it. We're governed by the grace that comes by the gift of Jesus. And so my question this morning would simply be this: Do you need a new deal? Because the one you're operating in right now is probably not getting it done. And for the younger generations, for those of you that will be on this earth long after us, should Christ not choose to return yet, you're going to keep repeating the same things over and over and over again until you figure it out. And I'm telling this morning, the answer is this. Jesus is the best deal you'll ever make. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you so much for your love and your grace. Father, thank you that you made a new covenant with us, a covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ. And Father, thank you that you gave thousands of years of notice that this was going to happen so that people couldn't stand before you and say, nobody told me, nobody shared that with me. Father, today as we look at across this world, we see a variety of crazy laws, and we see that in the, these laws that, that, yeah, there's some good things out there, but there's also some things that really don't make a lot of sense, some things that don't apply, some things that are truly archaic. But Lord, that is part of the shortcoming of the law is that it will never fix the problem that we have, and that's a new heart. And so, Lord, I'm asking this morning that you would just renew that covenant with us, those that, that have accepted the grace of Jesus Christ, have made the best deal we're ever going to make, Lord, one that changes our eternity, that changes our hearts, Lord, to obey you. But Father, likewise, we would also look at those who have not made that decision. They would understand that knowledge of the law, executing the law, doing what the law says will only push you to the same place each and every time that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The law will do nothing more but reveal our shortcomings. But Jesus is the one that will fix that. And so, Lord, we thank you for Jesus this morning. We thank you for dads. We 